Well, good morning. A few years ago in Iceland, during a, a tour bus excursion that was taking place near a volcanic canyon, a woman was reported missing. And soon after notifying the police, search and rescue teams descended on the area. They arrived to search for this woman. More than 50 people uh, participated in the search in cars and on foot, by helicopter. It was, a, it was an all-out search in this region. After about 12 hours, though, the search was called off because the authorities discovered that the missing woman wasn't really missing after all. In fact, as it turns out, she'd been on the bus the whole time and for a few moments had exited the bus in order to participate in the search party. <laughs> and apparently what happened was before re-entering the bus after the stop at the canyon, she changed her clothes and freshened up a bit. And when she got back on the bus, no one recognized her. Not the driver, not anybody else on the bus. Who knows what that means that she freshened up. It's a true story. Local chief of police uh, told the reporters that the woman was innocent of any mistake. And uh, he said uh, she eventually recognized the description of herself and had no idea that she was missing. When I ran across that uh, story, that, that true story, it, uh, this is what went through my mind. I thought to myself, you know, apparently it's possible to be lost and not know it. And uh, wives everywhere who ride with their husbands who drive know this to be true. It's, it's been an understandable fact for a long time. But according to the Bible, the state, uh, the state of much of humanity is that we're lost and have no clue. So to help people understand that fact and help, help them to come home, at least those who will, Jesus in Scripture repeatedly speaks about lost things. Last week we looked at some of that, listened to, uh, to uh, Lori, my wife, teach, and she taught us through the first part of Luke chapter 15. We talked about the lost sheep and how the shepherd left the sheep and went out, uh, the, all the rest of them, the 99, went out and got the one that was lost. Uh, we learned about the lost coin, the woman who'd lost you know, part of her, her bridal, uh, it's almost like a wedding ring or something, engagement ring or something of that sort, and she'd lost it. And so she, she turns the house upside down to find this coin. And, and today we're going to look at the lost sons, which is the third story in the series that Jesus tells here of the lost and found Sons, if you have your Bible, open it to Luke 15, and I want you to listen carefully with me to Jesus, who's calling all of us to come home, calling all of us to come to him, regardless of where we are on our spiritual journey. Luke 15, we're going to start at verse 11 and uh, read through to verse 32. So this, is what, uh, this is the story as Jesus tells it. Listen carefully. See if you can find yourself here in the story anywhere or anybody that you know. Scriptures say, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told in this story, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. And so his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings, moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money and wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. And he persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the, the man sent him into his fields to feed pigs. 
The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, yeah, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, and filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the, the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. And your brother is back, he was told. And your father has killed the fattened calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and, and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even a young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We have to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. You know, for the next few minutes, what I want to do is work our way through this passage. And I want to draw your attention to three life lessons that I believe Jesus wants every one of us Every one of us to understand and learn lessons he wanted the Pharisees, the disciples that he had at, his day, at, at the time when he, he spoke all this originally. He wanted them to learn this. He wants us to learn a lot from this extended parable. And if you'll listen close for the next few minutes, I can't help but think that God will touch your heart and call to you and speak a word of wisdom from his word that can help you connect with him better, connect with others in your life better. Help you honor him with the life that he's given you better. So uh, hope you'll listen for the next few moments as I walk us through these three life lessons. The first life lesson Jesus wants all of us to learn is the consequences of wild living. It shows up really, really clearly in the text. The consequences of wild living. And most of us are fairly familiar with these consequences. Jesus wants the, the prodigal son here in the text to be our teacher. He wants us to learn from his mistakes, not repeat them. And when you look in the text, you find that this young man had given himself uh, to extensive travel upon securing his part of the inheritance from his father. And he just begins to travel. He starts having parties. He starts hanging out with prostitutes. And there's careless spending that's a part of his life. And you see these kinds of things. And there are always consequences for heading down this kind of path in an unbridled, rebellious sort of way. And that's really what he's doing here. 
you see show up in the text as well. The consequences of that kind of wild living. You see the guilt. You see the shame. The humiliation that he experienced begins to come through. The abandonment that he experiences. You know, when the money ran out, what happened to his friends? They ran out. Anybody who's gone down this path understands that. You reach a point where there's no money and it's suddenly, you know, you, you, you know, the, the idea, the rich man has all the friends he could ever want, right? Why is that? Because he's rich, right? A lot of people who enjoy the pleasures of a rich man right alongside of you. But when the money runs out, you find out who your real friends are. And he found out that he really didn't have any real friends. He had time to analyze the guy's life in the years to come. He would have discovered the, the waste of resources and time and the loss of innocence, the loss of opportunity. You look in the text, poverty descends on him. This is, this is always the end of wild living, is poverty. In our culture, sometimes we, we look at poverty and we don't think about that. Sometimes our choices lead to poverty. Poverty on a financial level, poverty of spirit. You look at the text and you find that damaged family relationships resulted from, from his wild living. I mean, he was estranged from his father, estranged from his brother. Some of us can identify with these things because we've felt the sting, the the consequence of wild living. And maybe some of us listening this morning uh, are feeling those things right now. You've got to understand, the Father is not looking at you in judgment. He is, he is looking at you and saying, come to your senses, please. Come to your senses. Come home. Come home to me. Come home to my values. Come home to my relationship. Leave behind that rebellious spirit. Come to me. And you'll find rest for your weary heart and hope for your hopeless life because I'm good and I care. You see in the text, where's the father? Standing on the front porch waiting, waiting. I don't have time to revisit all of the verses of the last two parables that Lori walked us through in Luke 15, but it's interesting because in the first parable, the the lost sheep, what's the shepherd do? He leaves them and he goes and looks for them. Remember the lost coin? What's the woman do? She turns her house upside down searching for it. You look at this text. Father doesn't leave the house. Because with people, they have to come to their senses. You and I have free will. We have to come to our senses and choose to come home. And the Father's waiting on the front porch for you, for me, to come. Maybe some of you this morning need to come home. Will you come home? The Father is waiting for you. And instead of judgment, you're going to find grace and mercy. God who cares about you. Consequences of wild living are horrible. The joys that it promises are not all that it promises. It's a life lesson we all need to keep in mind. 
Because, you know, you and I can become prodigals at any stage of life. We tend to categorize this sometimes in the early years of some young man or young woman's life. But the truth is, I, I've known some middle-aged prodigals. Have you? Got to come to their senses. We just got to come to our senses. Come home. Second life lesson that Jesus wants all of us to learn from this extended parable is this. He wants us to see not just the consequences of wild living, but the consequences of self-righteousness. Self-righteousness stems from, maybe from never having lived a wild life. You know, we don't think about these consequences much, but Jesus reveals them in the parable, and he really intends the elder brother, the older brother, to be our, our teacher in this respect. And when you look at his life and how he rela relates in the text, as Jesus tells the story, the consequences of self-righteousness are really vivid if you just look carefully for them. You find the, the older brother who's angry and feeling left out Self-righteousness will lead to that in your spirit, in your life. Do you notice in the text whose choice it was to be excluded from the party when the brother came home? Do you notice who made the choice? Look at the text with me again. Luke 15, verse 28. Look at what it says. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. He made the choice. He made the choice. His father came out and begged him. Do you, you just see it? The, the father's thrilled because the prodigal's home now, but now he's going out and pleading with the brother who never left home, but nonetheless, his heart is far away. That's what self-righteousness will do to a person. You can be physically present, emotionally, spiritually far away. The father's pleading with him, begging him. Verse 29 says, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And at all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Just, just pause. Do you see the thread of ingratitude here? That thread of entitlement? It's in judgment. Kind of mean spiritedness toward his father. He just keeps going. Verse 30, when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. Sound like honor your father and mother? Does it sound like that? Is that the spirit of it? See, self-righteousness leads to anger and exclusion, not because other people are angry and excluding you, but because you've chosen it. And it leads, as you see in the text, to relational disconnection. Do you see it right there? He's disconnected from those who would otherwise he would feel close to. He's disconnected from his brother who undoubtedly enjoyed life with in his early years. But now he's wandered off and come back and he's disconnected from him because there's that spirit of judgmentalism and self-righteousness that just estranges them. It separates not just him toward his brother, but toward the father for forgiving his brother. If you look in the text, another consequence of self-righteousness is the complete absence of joy. I mean, ang joy is replaced with anger is really the emotion, the dominant emotion. But joy is missing here. 
And it's interesting to me, everyone in this string of parables in Luke 15 experiences joy. Everybody except the elder brother. I mean, the shepherd goes and finds his sheep, comes home, and there's a party. The angels, Luke 15, tell us, rejoice. The woman who loses her coin, finds it, what does she do? Rejoices and everybody with her. The text tells us the father is rejoicing when the prodigal comes home. And of course, the prodigal is rejoicing and the servants are rejoicing. Who is conspicuously not rejoicing? The only person in the entire story who's operating from a basis of self-righteousness. No joy. Just judgment. Just nitpicking about all the little things that didn't go right about in his mind while he was with his time at home with his father. Just nitpicking his brother. Self-righteousness robs a person of joy and it's often the root from which unforgiveness grows. Because the self-righteous person says in his or her mind, they don't deserve that. Here's the thing about grace. The truth is, none of us deserve that. The prodigal didn't. You and I don't. There's a principle in Scripture. Jesus teaches us when he teaches us to, to pray the Sermon on the, you know, the, sermon on the Mount. He talks to us about how to pray. Father, forgive them. I, I forgive them. They forgive, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who sin against us. Who done it. Without starting in the middle, I was messed up. Forgive us our debts. As we forgive our debtors, think about the phrase, forgive us our debts. How? As we forgive our debtors, those who sin against us. This is what, this is a principle. The self-righteous person, none of us, none of us is so holy that we get to stand in a self-righteous place. We're all called to a place of humility and to grace and, and forgiveness. But most of the time when you see unforgiveness present, it stems from some root of self-righteousness. And it may not permeate an entire person's life, although it will with time, because it's like a weed. It just grows and gets bigger and bigger and takes over space that's it's given. But... But it usually the root of unforgiveness is some element of self-righteousness. If you're struggling with that in some area, just, and you've just thought, why can't I forgive this person? You know, hear me without judgment in this. I'm just trying to help you see what the text says. Look, begin to look back in your life with that person and just say, is there any area where you felt like there were, they were a prodigal? And in your spirit, you just feel like they don't deserve mercy and grace. Maybe it's from you. Maybe it's from somebody in your life that's important or whatever, but it's affecting you. Consequences of self-righteousness, horrible. They're horrible. 
Lots of people are afflicted with it in our day, in our culture. You don't even have to be particularly spiritual. All you got to do in our day is recycle or exercise or some other things. And somebody else doesn't exercise or recycle like you? Woo! This is a problem. What is that? Self-righteousness. Right here. It manifests itself all over the culture and the world in which we live. Every one of us has been affected. The third lesson, life lesson that Jesus wants every one of us to learn from this extended parable is this. Just as prodigals need forgiveness, so do elder brothers and elder sisters. We all need forgiveness. Jesus wants us to see in this parable that the prodigal need is, needed his father's forgiveness because of what he did. The elder brother, though, needed his father's forgiveness because of what he would not do. He was above accepting and showing mercy to a repentant brother. From God's perspective, that needs, that's a sin from which this guy needed to be forgiven and maybe some of us need to be forgiven too. The prodigal and his older brother were both lost. Both needed forgiveness. Both were loved by the father. But here's the thing. In the parable, only one of them, only one of the two sons had decided to repent. Did you notice that? That's not a coincidence. You know, the notorious sinners of Jesus' day, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the people who were famous for their sins that everybody knew, they were repenting. They were leaving that lifestyle behind and choosing to follow Jesus. But what were the Pharisees? What were the teachers of religious law? The elder brothers, what were they doing in their self-righteousness? They were continuing in their self-righteousness, and it was yet to be seen from Jesus' perspective whether they would humble themselves and come home like the prodigals were doing. What about us? What about you? What about me? Some of us may need to repent because of what we've done. We need to come to our senses and we need to stop rebelling. We need to just humble ourselves before a holy and righteous God who loves us more than he loved his own life. We need to die to self and choose to live for him. That's, that's really what some of us who walk in the prodigal path need to choose to do. Because the truth is, while living hasn't worked out all that well. We just need to own it and accept it. Embrace the truth and humble ourselves and come home. Any of this morning decide to come home to the Father. To come home to your daddy, spiritually speaking, who's waiting for you with open arms right here in this place for you to come home to him. Maybe some of us this morning need to repent of our unforgiveness, our self-righteousness, our judgments that we've made about other people. Maybe the truth is we've been mean. We've just been, we've just been mean. Some of the meanest people I've known over the course of my life are people who are very spiritual. I mean, they know lots of Bible verses. 
They live for God in a lot of ways. But the truth is they're just mad and mean and self-righteous. And nobody wants to be around them. They have no friends. Because they look with a glaring eye just scanning the profile of every person they meet, not physically, but spiritually, and they're just self-righteous. Are any of us in the sound of my voice this morning, the Holy Spirit is saying, let go of that. Just acknowledge that you're not perfect. Nobody else is. And choose to forgive. Because as you forgive, I promise I'll forgive you, the Father says. I'll forgive you as you forgive others. Maybe some of us this morning need to come home and come to our senses in that respect. You know, the Father is calling. Will you come home? We're going to share in the Lord's Supper in just a few moments. It's a perfect opportunity for each of us to just look heavenward and to just acknowledge before God any area of struggle in terms of what we've talked about this morning. Maybe, maybe it's something you need to confess. Um, maybe it's some prodigal path that you've been walking and you've come to your senses this morning or come to your senses recently and the Holy Spirit is just saying, come to me, come to me. Let me embrace you. Let me put a ring on your finger. Let me robe you in my righteousness. Let me do that. I mean, communion, the Lord's Supper is all about that. It's a reminder of the shed blood of Jesus, the price of your forgiveness if you're a prodigal. But if you've been walking from a self-righteous standpoint, you've got to understand that it's like, the blood of Jesus is for you too. Maybe for you it's a reminder that you and I can't make ourselves right before God. Do you think if we could have made ourselves right before God that God would have gone to all the trouble to take upon himself flesh, to endure the harassment, the abuse, the suffering that he did? if some other way would have been possible. God's not into taking abuse for no point any more than you are. But he endured that because as Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, take this cup from me. If it be your will, I'll endure it there's any other way but there was no other way he endured the cross for you so maybe this morning the Holy Spirit is just appealing to you to just say just lay your good deeds your righteousness the things that you've done in an effort to try to honor me father's just saying lay them down before me I'm proud of your attempts. The scriptures tell us that your righteousness and mine, the prophet Isaiah says, are like filthy rags before the throne of the righteous living God. 
the prophets of old would step into the presence of God and what they would finally say is, I mean, these are the guys that lived the most virtuous lives on the planet at the time. And they're, Isaiah cries out in Isaiah 6, Whoa, woe to me, I'm undone. I'm horribly unclean. I live among a people of unclean lips. My lips are unclean. We are more, all of us, messed up than we even understand. And it's the mercy of God that he doesn't reveal all of our brokenness. It's the mercy of God. So he's just saying, will you just come before me and embrace my sacrifice for you? We share in the Lord's Supper in just a few moments. It's an opportunity for us to do that. And the ushers will serve us the bread and the juice, symbols of the body of Christ nailed to the cross, the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. Spend some moments just coming home to the Father in prayer, all right? Let's bow our heads, and then our ushers will serve us the emblems. Father, we thank you. Thank you, first of all, Lord Jesus, for the parable of the lost sons. Because the truth is we're all lost. The difference is some of us know it, some of us don't. Father, my prayer is that this morning we'll all recognize our lostness and humble ourselves before you and receive the forgiveness that Jesus purchased on the cross for us. Cleanse us from unrighteousness. Cleanse us from self-righteousness. Make us yours, your adopted sons and daughters who are loved by you more than we comprehend. Thank you for every person here this morning listening as we're here together. Would you, by your Holy Spirit, reach out and touch each heart, each life, each mind, each spirit, because you care about them. You've chosen them. You've purchased them on the cross, Lord Jesus, and they're yours. Help us to just humble ourselves and embrace you like you're trying to embrace us. Help us to do that now as we share in the Lord's Supper. We'll rejoice to be your children. This is our prayer, and we lift it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're glad that you made it here this morning. As we uh, wrap up, I want to close with uh, want us to close with a little story I heard this past week. A pastor I know of once uh, saw a classic uh, dog lost dog sign, and um, it's a big cash reward for whoever found the dog. And this was the description of the dog. It says, uh, he's only got three legs, he's blind in the left eye, he's missing a right ear, his tail has been broken off, he was neutered accidentally by a fence, he's almost deaf, and he answers by the name Lucky. <laughs> this is a true, true sign. You know, in one sense, you know, that dog isn't lucky. Uh, and in another sense, he is. He is an owner, a master who wants him. And I hope this week you will remember that you have a God who wants you. Wherever you are in life, 
whatever's going on, he wants you. And, uh, and we want each other too. And so uh, let's stand together. Uh, we've got uh, Sunday Plus that's going to take place here in just a few moments. And uh, we're just going to enjoy a meal together really is what that is. It's a Sunday service plus a meal is the idea. So if you've never been to Sunday Plus, I want to invite you today. We'll head through the doors over here and head down, uh, down the sidewalk because it's not raining now, thankfully. You can make your way down there in the West Building. There's our student center. Uh, just follow your way there. The door will be open. You'll be able to find your way in. We've got uh, all kinds of food there that we're going to have. Tacos was mentioned, and there's other stuff. If you plan to join us, please do. If you didn't plan to join us, hope you'll stay, get acquainted with some others, and just enjoy uh, a meal together. Uh, in particular, hope you'll kind of keep your eyes open for our summer intern uh, ben Warren is his name. If you've been at VBS, you've been some of the student things or children's things, you, you probably would have had opportunity to meet him. But, uh, but I know some of us who are in here, maybe an adult, just strictly adult ministry things, you maybe haven't had a chance to meet him. I just want to encourage you to, uh, to get a chance to acquaint yourself with him. He's a fine young man, student at Manhattan Christian College, and with us for the summer and planning on ministry in the long term. So make sure and, uh, make sure and look for him uh, today. Let's pray together. And then uh, we'll head that direction. If any of you need prayer about anything specific, I'll hang around here for a little bit too. Lord, we thank you for your grace. And we thank you that you care about us more than you've cared about your own well-being, physically speaking. We invite you to, uh, to help us to care about the things that you care about, to cleanse us, to make us yours. We, we humble ourselves before you. We want to be your sons, your daughters. Help us, Father, to be forgiving people as well as forgiven people. We'll rejoice to be your children. Would you bless our food and our fellowship now as we head up to the other building? And may your grace rest upon us and walk with us this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.